Welcome, welcome your backup plan tribe to another awesome podcast brought to you by the Talking Taboo with Tina. My name is Tina again. If you are new here, welcome to our show. If you are a returning subscriber, thank you for taking the time out of your special day and enjoying our show with us. Um, I am an emergency preparedness coach, a best-selling author of In the Blink of an Eye. That's how quickly things happen, just like that. It's in the blink of an eye that your life can change in a split second. I'm a financial expert and an app developer of Your Backup Plan app right here in Vancouver, BC, Canada. And if you are new to our show, we bring you this from Your Backup Plan app, and we focus on real raw conversations with our listeners about their journey from a life-changing event in their life. What is your backup plan app anyways, Tina? That's what people say to me. What the heck does that mean anyways? Well, your backup plan app puts your life all in one place. So in case of any unpredictable circumstance, while taking that painful aftermath out of the tragedy. And you might say, Tina, you know, what does that mean? Well, it means that we can't count on anything in life. We are brought here on life to, you know, at some point die, get sick, get injured, lose things in a disaster or a tragedy. You know, life happens. Shit happens, unfortunately. And sometimes, like Mike, Mike Tyson says, uh, his famous quote is, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Well, we think we have a plan. You know, I talk to lots of different people and, oh, yes, I've got my will. I'm all, you know, I've got everything organized. Famous last words. And that's when you get punched in the mouth. Because it's not that simple. Life is very complicated now compared to what it used to be 40 years ago, 60 years ago, 100 years ago. You know, it was simpler back then. It was easy. You had certain documents that were pertinent to your property or your personal family, and you rolled them up in a brown paper bag and you shoved them in the rafters and you told your family that's where the important documents are. What do we do now? We have everything everywhere. We have some in that drawer and that filing cabinet and that closet and that box. And then on top of that, we have stuff on digital assets. So truly your spouse doesn't even know what you have. You might have Xbox credits, you might have reward points, you might have things that your family and friends have no clue when it comes time to figure things out. And so that's why we're here. We're here to help you guys get everything organized. We have a program coming out very soon that's launching called the Blueprint Program, where we're going to have a library of videos, interviews, uh, worksheets and templates to print off so that you can easily print them off and have an appy night, coffee, tea, Baileys, wine, whatever it is that you want to do for the night. Sit down with those documents, sit down with those family conversation worksheets and fill them out. It's a fun night. It doesn't have to be difficult, and it definitely doesn't have to be taboo, so that we know amongst our brothers and our sisters and our parents and ourselves even, and our kids, what does that person want? Where is their stuff? Where do I find it? Um, even if, if it's a book with everything in it, where the heck is it? And where's their will? Because if they never find it, then you don't have one. So um, yeah, there's that too. So anyways, let's get on this party started. Our topic today is I don't know what to say. Brought to a guest here from Claire is going to talk about from New Jersey, United States. Um, she's a very special person in my heart, uh, a beautiful soul who's going to talk to us about all of her experiences in around grief and dealing with this trauma that has set into our family. You know, what do you say to a family member, a friend, 
a distant friend, a distant relative? What do you say in all circumstances? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm really super excited about that. If you haven't already liked or shared or subscribed, I get my hand out every time. Click on that bell down here. Click on the subscribe button right down here in the corner. And don't forget that you won't miss any of our shows. So if you are um, from United States or Canada, welcome again. It's one of our top two listeners, as well as Germany, Ireland, and the UK are rising up to their next uh, biggest listeners. Uh, so I'd like to thank them also. Meine deutsche Freunde sind unserem Podcast willkommen. Wenn Sie Kommentar haben, können Sie gern Fragen stellen. Also danke für deine Freundschaft und danke für Sie hören, meine deutsche Freunde. So thank you again for listening, everyone. Let's get this party started. If you are uh, found us, you are definitely here for a reason. You better listen because there's something in here for you, definitely, especially from Claire. She's got so many good tips and tricks for us, everybody. Just, just wait. So I'm going to bring Claire on, Claire Schwartz from New Jersey. And the crowds yells and screams. <laughs> I don't need screaming. That's quite all right. <laughs> Just the yelling. <laughs> so Claire is from New Jersey, um, are, is a certified professional coach, a Reiki master teacher, a spiritual counselor, interfaith minister, and a grief and trauma healing expert with a BA in psychology, which always comes in handy. Hmm. She is the owner and founder of Miriam's Wealth Healing LLC based out of New Jersey, as well as an author of putting out the fire, nurturing mind, body, and spirit in the first week of loss and beyond. Wow. And you've got quite the story. There you go. There's the putting out the fire. Awesome. And that that's also linked down below for everybody. So I'm not going to say, Claire, where did all of this start? But I know it did start for you. You do have a background that's definitely worthy of talking about. Well, I wanna give the, thank you. And thank you so much for having me, Tina. Um, I, I wanna give sort of the truncated version because uh, spooling out the whole story can get kind of complex. Um, I, I think it is extraordinarily important for those of us who do this work to tell why and where we come from. And, and you, you understand this because you talk about your story as well, is that level of authenticity is really important because it is part of the story is that very often we run into people who frankly don't get it. And that connection with whoever you're working with in your healing process is really important to know that I've been there. I spent a lot of years in the other chair, right? Yeah. And um, so I call my history and my story uh, the dark ugly. Um, and there really was not a time in my life that wasn't that from the early, like the first half of my life. Um, and I, part of your podcast is talking about taboo subjects. So I just sort of, I'll, I'll roll out the um, the initial top five, which is violence, abuse, neglect, rape, cancer, um, and <laughs> and um, and you know it it changes who you are, and it it sets a certain course for your life, and so I was already dealing with all of those things in my mid twenties, um, and then. In 1995, uh, my mother died. Phone call at midnight. Exactly what you talk about. Boom. Life totally different. There's I always it's a thick black line through my story, through my life story, where there's before that and after that. And nothing crosses over, right? So it's everything flipped on its head. And the irony is losing my mother is what made me start the healing work and start learning and building who I am. 
And sometimes it's that the hardest thing in your life that makes you take a really hard look on the inside. So in the midst of all of that is an opportunity to learn and grow in a way that you weren't aware of before. So, um, but you don't see that. No, you don't see that. Um, you, you go into this sort of numbness cocoon most of the time. And as somebody who lived in a very different kind of cocoon before that, that was sort of layered on top of that. I see that very often in my practice as well, where people, um, they come to me for one incident or one loss, but the more I start to take apart their history, their story, there are all sorts of other things from the past that were never unraveled and never dealt with. And suddenly the last thing happens and that's the one that breaks the pattern and you go, I can't do this anymore. And then what do I say? What do I do? Who do I ask? What do I do now? What I did in that first couple of months was just a small nervous breakdown. Um, I had uh three months or so, I really don't remember much from that summer at all, um, where I, I couldn't work, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep properly, none of that, nothing worked, absolutely nothing worked. And um, yeah, sure, therapy, twice a week, wasn't working, nothing worked. Um, then the numbness wore off. And I said, oh, well, I guess I should just go back to my life. And nothing, but nothing was the same. And so all of the reinventions started from there. Um, and I talk about the parade of losses, which of course doesn't only include death. It, it includes, you know, I lost a lot. I lost my childhood. I lost, I lost my innocence. I've lost my um, over as the years progressed, then I eventually, I lost my stepmother. I lost my father. I lost the house that I grew up in. I lost my job. I, there, you know, any disaster that happens can include a lot. I lost a, a group of friends that I was very attached to for a while that sort of blew up in my face. Um, and then my, my teacher died, my mentor died, etc. It just became this parade and but but with each one the entire thing only matters if you build learning and purpose out of it so um so that's my that's my ethos that's my calling that's the reason i really the one of the reasons i get out of bed in the morning is i've learned a lot and it's not like i'm done i don't know if we're done exactly um I, I have more to learn. I'm sure you do too. <laughs> um, That's for sure. And, yeah. Right. And so, but we know some stuff and paying it forward is the deepest privilege to be able to say, you know what? A lot of people gave me a hand up. What can I do for you? Right. right. Yeah. Um, if I put my finger up, can you mute yourself? Yeah, for what? I'm just wondering if the feedback gets less if I, it's it's only when I talk. I think it's coming back from you. Interesting. Okay. When you talk, it's fine. And now it's fine. But when I first start, it goes into this sound. But it's okay right now. But It's okay right now. Okay. But if I go like this, I, it, it's like I can't even say anything without it shooting back at me. But it's all right right now. I, I don't know. Anyway, know. it's all good, anyway. people. It's all good. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. Um, so that's your background, of course. Yeah. Um, and and I do talk about the darkness in a lot yeah. of my shows. Um, I do my analogy of the darkness is being put in a room because you feel you you feel like you are in a prison. Um, I, I feel like you're in a room with no windows and no light in the room and yeah. you're trying to make way of escaping, but you're not sure how, and it's yeah. dark and you're just, 
you know, clawing at the walls, trying to figure out where the window is that you can see light or where yes. the door is that you can open it and get that, get that freedom again, because yeah. it, it overtakes your mind all the time, sleeping, wake, it doesn't matter. Yes. And yeah. that's what I talk about. And then finally finding the handle, you know, it's all stages, the handle, finding the handle and then turning the handle and then pulling the door slightly and you see a bit of light and you think, oh, finally. Yeah. That that's my darkness analogy. I can I can quote a great Canadian, uh, Leonard Cohen. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Oh, so even well. even as we get broken and we get to know our broken parts, that's also where the light comes in. It, and that's the, the is to focus on the light instead of the brokenness. Right. So it's one of it's one of my personal mantras is it's it's okay that something broke because this will allow new ideas. You, you need new ideas to deal with it because otherwise you can't use what you used before necessarily if it's not going to work. Right. Because with each with each new thing, you need a new piece of how do I deal with this? Right. So as we learn, it does, it adds to our resilience toolbox. And if, when I, I, I list out my, my quote unquote losses and I, I stopped counting at 40. <laughs> I don't mean 40 years old. I mean, 40 losses. Um, and because after that, it's kind of, what's the point, but, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's not that things don't affect me anymore. There are still things that happen that will just wipe me out, but I'm familiar with that journey. I give myself permission to be a mess if I need to be, and I don't see it as a mess. I see it as I give myself permission to express, release uh, in whatever form that takes, and then, okay, which tool do I need? What do we do now? How do I take care of myself? Um, and what happens next? So Claire, would you, would you say in that comment that you allow yourself to be angry sometimes, to be yes. sad, to yes. cry it out, to just to feel whatever comes up and yes, and then think of okay, how how do I deal with this now? Yeah, because it's it's actually a part of how your your brain response is that those emotional pieces need a physical expression in some way and whether that means you pound on a pillow or you get on the extra cycle and you just go for a while um you need to curl up on the floor and sob your head off do that um try not to break your house um don't go smash your car into something but just express don't destroy right um, I always talk about after, after mom died, one of the things that happen happens is your memory gets bluey and I forgot how to drive. Absolutely had no idea. Not only did I not know what my hands and feet were supposed to do, but I forgot where everything was. And the other piece was I had to not listen to that part of my brain that wanted to drive my car into a tree because that was the level of agitation that was and disruption that was going through, you know, the ground did not feel solid beneath my feet. That night of the phone call, I was in physical shock. I should have been in, in the ER, actually. I didn't realize that at the time, but no. um, yeah. I couldn't feel my arms and legs. And, you know, it's a very extreme, situation so you you need to know how to take care of yourself in that process but releasing releasing that energy is a necessary part right before you even get to the what do i say is this has to go somewhere <laughs> and, yeah exactly oh, get it out right and so 
Yeah. And I get, I get people who on my calls who get emotional and then immediately apologize. I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. And they try to stop it and they try to squelch it. And I'm like, it's all right. You don't need to do that. It's not only all right, it's necessary. Do whatever you have to do. I'm not going anywhere. I've got you. It's okay. It's okay. Even on a zoom. That's all right. So um, I always tell people, bring your journal, bring your tissues. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So what I was going to say is, and I tell people, talk about this in most of the podcasts, how important your backup plan is beforehand because of that situation. I tell people all the time when a tragedy hits in the blink of an eye, your brain disappears. It literally disappears. And you can't think. It's like your logic brain, you, you, it's gone. And I, I don't know what happens. There's obviously some scientific reasoning for it. And, and I know part of it is shock. But the more the days continue, it doesn't alleviate. Like, it, it just becomes worse. Like, even the littlest things of getting dressed or like what Ukraine is going through right now. I mean, they forget to brush their teeth, wash their face, or even do their hair, or even eat because you're, you are in a shock mode of some sort. And so if you think you're going to be able to deal with all of these things in the spur of the moment at that time, you can't. You can't. Yes, absolutely. And, and this is I, I talk about this all the time as well, and I've, I've seen this manifest recently in my practice um, where some things were done but not updated, and nobody knew what was what, and I'm watching this play out um, as far as things that they thought they planned for that didn't, that weren't planned well, and um, the amount of stress that it's causing, and not to mention you cannot if you're dealing with all of and, and there's some of this is in my book also is because that's why i talk about the first week of loss right it's that there has to be there you're in this moment of shock you can't think straight you don't know if you're coming or going and people say what do you need and you go oh i don't know <laughs> And you literally don't know because the one thing that you need is for this not to have happened and nobody can do that for you. So, and, and oh, by the way, could you make 8,000 really important decisions right now? Uh, no, I, I uh, blue, it, you, you just can't, you can't wrap your head around it. And so this you can't is, answer uh, questions. No, you no. can't like, yeah, it when is you literally go to the funeral brain, home, there's yeah, like brain wise, questions put in front of you. Yeah, brain wise, what happens is is actually a form of trauma. Is that your brain is responding in a trauma response? So it's fight, flight, or freeze. What happens generally is just freeze, and it's to it does the psyche does this to protect you, but the necessities of what happened after someone passes don't go away. And so, you know, for, for my mom, there, there was a will and some papers, but she and I never talked about it. Um, and same with my father, there was a will, but he never told me what to do with the stuff in his house. He never told me what to do with, his personal items and he actually refused to discuss it with me he would get upset he would get angry until i finally just said you realize someday i'm gonna have to figure this whole mess out <laughs> and it's gonna really cause a lot of disruption i'm an only kid so it was all gonna fall on me so i said you realize this is all gonna land on my head i'm gonna have to figure this out and his answer was yep Oh, okay. Well, then don't get mad at me when the dumpster pulls up because that's what happened. Um, 
okay, uh, can't can't help you because uh, you know. So there are varying degrees, as you said. You, you think you're prepared if you have a will, but legal stuff is very very complicated, and every state is different. And I live in one of the worst states for that sort of thing. New Jersey is terrible for this sort of stuff, and um, so real just the peace of mind of knowing where everything is is certainly a thing but you want you want a professional who really is specializes in this area to help you with the legal documents right and that's uh, people don't know what that is or where to find it or who to trust and i always say it's not your cousin's neighbor's real estate guy yeah. who yeah. might have written their will twice because they printed out something online and you'd, you're like, uh. so you don't know if all of those, and all of this makes the trauma worse and it puts off the grief process. So you get stuck in, you're stuck in the grief numbness and you can't, and then it, but you know, the, what do I say gets completely hijacked because you're dealing with all of this business stuff that you probably don't understand anyway, because it's complicated. Um, and then maybe once all of that gets resolved, then your psyche goes, oh yeah, I'm still broken. Could you help me please? Then it might start. So it's it goes through many, many phases and everybody's journey is just a little bit different because it depends on their personal wiring. It depends on, their history with that particular person or that particular incident, that particular loss, because of course, loss comes from many, many, many different sources. But um, right. so it's very, very personal and individual. Yeah. So what I was going to say is it's complicated in two ways. Because if you don't have those discussions before the person is has dementia or feels that they're getting when once they're sick, it's too late in any shape or form because they don't they want to fight that, you know, that they are going to die. So you're not going to get anything out of them. So I talk about doing this preparation beforehand before that occurs so that they don't have those thoughts in their mind because we all know at any age that we could go or that we could get sick and be in a home or i mean even your wishes to what it is that you want to go to if you had alzheimer's or do you want to stay with your family do you want to go into a home what kind of home do you want to go into yeah. all of that kind of stuff as well as your funeral but if you don't do it ahead of time, then it's too late. I say to people, like I've talked to clients, they're beside their mom and she's dying and she still doesn't want to tell them where her bank accounts are because she's not going to die in her mind. Why are you asking me? You know, that type of thing. So it's too late. So there's a time of doing it and a time of saving a whole swack of money by being prepared because you're not searching and spending money on investigating and researching and time and cost off work and things not working out and people not getting back to you and not knowing what where their bank accounts are. And, and I didn't talk about this in particular was in the Ukraine where they're bringing people into camps and taking away all their documents of who they are and their cell phones but if you had your backup plan, it's going to sit up there and wait for you when you get back and you'll have all your stuff back that they took. So, I mean, the war is a different animal, of course, but it's funny how I kind of prepared this so that it doesn't matter where you are, you can access it. Um, anyway, I just wanted to input that because people don't realize how difficult it is putting all this stuff together 
if you are going through the trauma and when you're going through the trauma it's it's a fight in the family perhaps and the relatives and the and the argumenting and people believe that they deserve this and the rest of the family doesn't and and even if you're all by yourself then you have to figure it out by yourself and it, it's just a mess and when someone is passing away you shouldn't be worried about that you should be present and concentrating on getting them better yeah. that's that's my whole purpose and getting people better prepared for all of this grief that they don't realize is going to hit them hard yeah yeah and it's it's an added layer of complication is that families are often messy before this happens yeah and so you know most of the grief and loss industry, if you will, is directed towards folks who have lost someone who is beloved. Not everybody is that lucky. And so families are very complicated. And so we have to make room for the fact that sometimes none of this gets managed and it causes more problems than it solves. And then um, that's actually a, a workshop I'm teaching next week about how financial and estate planning has to be trauma informed and all the ways that, you know, as a professional, how do you deal with that? And as a consumer, how do you deal with that? Um, so that's actually a, a topic that's very um, close in my psyche right now. Um, but, and, and so the, the what to say piece becomes how do we, I mean, that's, there's so many facets to that. You could, we could talk for at least three hours just on the communication piece, right? Yeah. I, I, was, I was thinking about this uh, this morning is that the most important conversation we have about this, about any kind of grief and trauma, as it is with anything in life, the most important conversation that we have is with ourselves that little voice in your head, which some people think means you're insane, but that's a separate, <laughs> that's a separate thing, is that we all have that inner voice. That's what I mean. What do you tell yourself in those quiet moments? How do you speak to yourself? You, oh, damn it, Claire, what are you talking about? I, oh, wait, ooh, hello, what was that? No, okay, let's look at that. Hmm. And so how we talk to ourselves about the trauma we've survived and all of the many tentacles of that, the guilt, the um, blame, regret, uh, so many, so the, the sledgehammer that we beat ourselves up with, the framework that we put around it is hugely important to how we navigate our healing process and, our, and therefore our lives. So there's certainly that piece, um, which is, again, not something that gets talked about. There's a million articles about what do you say to fr a friend? I'm like, well, okay, a grieving friend. Yes, I get that. Okay, what about someone who is not grieving? What do you say to someone who's really angry? What do you say when you when someone, we say, well, what do you need? And there's that blank look. People don't know what they need. Like I said, they need it to not have happened. But what do the, how do you actually help? Yeah. And what do you not yeah. say, which is a whole other podcast. <laughs> I think a hug is the first thing they need. And yet, and yet, I've made that mistake where there are people who for whom a hug is a boundary violation. So um, I, I, my instinct is to do this, right, is to reach out. Uh, but not everybody's wired that way either. And I, so I've had people who go, oh, I don't hug. Oh, sorry. And so ask, would you like a hug? Would that be okay? Because not everybody, and sometimes touch is very volatile. And so a touch might set them off or maybe a touch feels dangerous. So ask. And it's hard for those like us that love to be touched or hugged. Well, and yet there's also when I'm when it's when it's I'm reaching out to someone, then I'm reaching out. But I've learned to ask because I've I've crossed that without meaning to. 
where somebody says, Ooh, I, I, uh, mm, and I've actually, Oh, great. I made it worse. Sorry. <laughs> um, let me, let me rephrase that. You can't unhug it. Right. <laughs> like, oops, sorry about that. Um, and yet for myself, if I'm ready to be comforted, that's great. But I always say, unless I'm angry, don't touch me when I'm angry. <laughs> Hug me later, but make sure don't touch me when I'm angry. <laughs> it's a whole different puppy. It's a whole different. So there's that, you know, for us, of course, that's a natural thing. Oh, here are the guy. Oh, not always, not always. And so it, it's everybody's, everybody's different, right? Um, so, and then just in the practical, um, of just being in the room sometimes is enough and not making assumptions, not making judgments about what, you know, I'm going to go do this. Well, okay, hold on. Would it help if I did this? Um, I notice your, your sink is full of dishes. Would it help if I did those for you or you know, the garbage is overflowing? Would you like me? Is there anything, any, an errand run, something picked up? Can I grab a platter of food? Uh, people always show up with a ton of food, most of which goes in the garbage because it's too much. Um, but what would actually be helpful? And to make suggestions instead of assumptions. And right. sometimes, sometimes I find that folks are most grateful for someone who's just there and then something comes up and we go, oh my gosh, I forgot to do this. I, oh, I don't know how that's going to happen. And he's like, well, I can do that. And you're just there for whatever they need. Boom. Hop to it. Yeah. I'll, you need me to go to the store? Yeah. Cool. What do you need? What? So it's to be available and flexible and compassionate for where they're coming from because they don't know. In that moment, it's the numbness. It's the numbness and shock of too much information, too much overwhelm of the moment, right? So Claire, how long do you think this lasts? The numbness? Hmm. I'm gonna get I'm gonna give a very unsatisfying answer. It depends. <laughs> because I've seen people where because the numbness is there to protect you. Your psyche just automatically knows there's a shutdown valve in here somewhere um, that keeps you safe to a certain extent. That's what it's designed to do. And sometimes when the that starts to wear off, whole new waves of emotion will hit you. And you can actually feel worse because the things that weren't being held back are now presenting themselves and knocking you down what feels like for a second time. Um, so it can be three months, six months. After my mother died, I, I asked a friend of mine, um, when am I going to feel normal again? Cause she had just lost her mother. And I, and she said, Oh, give it a year. And I went a year. I don't even know what day it is. Are you kidding me? A year, and it just feels like forever because your sense of time is is completely wonky. Um, technical term, wonky. Um, but true. So it can be, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so it really depends on the individual situation. Um, I would say if you remain completely numb and unchanged for more than a year, then then and you haven't gotten any sort of help or support that's the time to really say, I need help with this. I need help with this. Um, because each journey is different. Each journey is different. I could see as well, if you reach the three month mark, even if you felt like you weren't, you know, you felt like you wanted out of that prison, but you just can't seem to do it that you reach out for help. I would probably. Yeah. Assume. It's, it's less about the calendar and more about what you're feeling. I mean, if you're still, my, my nervous breakdown lasted three months, but I still needed a hell of a lot of help. Um, but like I said, I don't remember big chunks of that, big chunks, pretty much anything. <laughs> I have a few stray memories from that summer, um, but really not much at all. It was my, 
it completely disrupted my basic functioning. I could not function. So once you start to crawl your way out of that, and some people go back to functioning, but not really. So when you notice that it continues to disrupt your life, and some people don't notice. I've had folks come to me and say, you know, I've just had this realization that my temper has changed, my boundaries have changed, I can't focus at work, I'm snapping at my kids, I'm not sure what's going on here. And then they have a realization that it's connected to a loss that they've never addressed. And you go, oh my gosh, that's, um, that's a really great insight. Um, how long ago was that? 10 years. <laughs> yeah. So it go it can it goes under, but it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away until we bring it back out and we really work with it, look at it, examine it, treat it gently, heal it up. And you know, even if the the wound has you think it's healed over, but underneath it's not. Underneath it's not. So that need that top layer needs to be cleared off and it needs to be very gently cleaned out and then it will heal properly. Like a wound does, it grows back from the inside back up to the surface. Just like a physical wound, that's how emotional wounds heal. So it, it's just gotta be tended to. So by yes. covering it with a whole bunch of Band-Aids doesn't work? Nope, that's uh, unfortunately not that simple. Yeah, for sure, yeah. So question, um, what about, is it okay to say I'm like, two questions, I guess I could say to you is the first question is, what do you say? Do you say I'm like, you want to say I'm sorry. I don't know what that means to the person that's dealing with the issue. Um, when you say that, like, is there other ways of saying something better? And the second question is, how, how long do they, I guess you need a lot of help to put things together because you can't think in that, in those moments, especially if you're trying to prepare the funeral and, and things like that. Or if it's a tragedy where you have to do something with your mom, uh, perhaps like she has to go in a home and get help or, and now you're running around trying to figure out where you're going to put her and what's the best place. And, I mean, what do you say in these cases? What's the right thing? I, I don't think there's, I'm so sorry is, is a nice, neutral, compassionate response. And then the rest of it, you know, every circumstance is different. Um, I, just to be mindful of not saying anything that is, unnecessarily judgmental. Um, so if you're talking about, you know, in those, it's again, make offerings, you know, can I, have you eaten? Can I get you some lunch? Right? Cause that's one of the self-care. It's, it's the first chapter in my, in my book. Self-care is the first thing that goes out the window, you know? So can I get you a bottle of water? Um, can I, can I run an errand for you? Or can I, can I just go with you to look at, say, if you've got someone that you're, you're, you're looking for a place for a nursing facility, do you want me to come with you? Would that help? Would that help? Right? So offer and don't assume is one thing that I would say. Um, because I, I mean, obviously there's a thousand different circumstances where something could be happening. Um, but making sure that people feel heard, feel like they matter, and not to give them anything else that they have to slog through. Because that gets into the whole what not to say. <laughs> because there's this whole category, and I again I talk about this in the book. Uh, it's a whole category of people who say things that they mean well, but comes out sideways. And you go, oh, did you just say that to me? Did I, did I hear that properly? Wow. Okay. Um, no. 
also wrong. And again, no. Um, and so now you've got that memory stuck as well, because everything around these big life events is heightened. So you want to be aware of don't add to the story of then, oh, God, then what did, what did she say? Oh, boy. So we've all got some of those. I deal with that all the time is that people think they're saying something that is helpful and then not. And then not. Um, and I guess there's a I, list of those. There's literally dozens of them. I guess the best thing to not do is ask a question. Because the person who can't think doesn't want any more questions thrown at them because you can't think. It so, really matters um, what kind of question and how you're phrasing it. Um, blank questions like, what do you need? Blank, right? Uh, so being specific, uh, lunch, errand, help, um, you want me to go company? Sometimes people want a break too. That's another thing. If this is an ongoing saga, you want to just get a cup of coffee and I don't have to say anything. You, if you want to just talk, cool. If you want to talk about anything but what's going on, also cool. Because sometimes it's what's on your head every waking moment dawn until dusk, you want to talk about something else. Talk about The Bachelor. Go talk about something that doesn't have you know, real life consequences, something that is just a brain break. Let me talk about anything else other than this massive thing that just fell on my head. So some people want to talk about it. Some people don't want to talk about it. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a craft to figure out what might each person need but i think because they can't think for themselves is to make us make a suggestion without making a demand not i'm going to do this or how about we do this what do you think is that okay you have another idea because sometimes that'll spark something um but not as very often we we get taught to ask an open-ended question don't no, not in this situation <laughs> because there's no there's no room in the in the file cabinet matter of fact the file cabinet is closed <laughs> can't get in can't get out um so it has to be limited to the things that have to be handled in the moment like the funeral arrangements um or transportation um you know but again have you eaten you want me to get you you want me to run out and get you a sandwich or something in the fridge you would like or, you know, cup of tea? <laughs> uh, whatever, whatever it can be, make an offering, make an offering. So those are the types of questions that are helpful. As opposed to, oh my God, what happened? And make somebody relive the story, which they've probably already done 8,000 times and really aren't interested in doing anymore. Right? Yeah. Um, is may I ask what happened or ask some, you want to be careful asking somebody else because they may not have all the information, but how are you doing? Right. You look exhausted. Have you slept? Okay. This, you see, you see the difference. There's a big difference. Yeah. 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 I know you see the difference. <laughs> and what about the friend who, mm. I know you need some time to, you know, go to bed maybe in the daytime and lie down nap, nap. and just take lots of it. Cause it seems to drain your brain so much energy and you get so, so tired. Yes. Um, but yes. for somebody else, there might be thinking, Oh, she must be depressed. What's wrong with her. Don't go to bed. Let's go out somewhere. Let's I'll take you for a coffee. No, I just yeah. need to deal with this on my own time. Yeah. So don't make any constraints or assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to do this. Right. It's how about you lie down for a while? What do you think? Because you look pretty fried. Right. Gentle. Gentle. Yeah. Yeah. 
gentle is always a good choice. And if they're still doing that in six months, oh, well, they're still doing that. Yeah. Um, I guess mean everybody the, has their button that they need to press to when they want to come out of prison. I mean, you can't put a time on it. You can't put a time on when that numbness wears off. If that's, is that what you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There when is you no feel way like you're, you want out of this prison yeah. of, of being stuck. Well, and that's a really important piece that I focus on a lot, which is, demystifying and destigmatizing the healing process. Okay, you get to that point of, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what to do with all these emotions. I don't do this, yeah, healing stuff, okay, fine. Maybe I'll go to a group in the, you know, YMCA and, you know, share my grief, which is good. Shared, shared emotions are, are, the burden is lessened and it's important to be with people who have a shared experience. So I don't want to um, discount that. But that's different than an actual personal healing process, right? So very often people do a whole combination of things and you may need more than one counselor and you may need a doctor and you may need, um, you know, your spiritual advisor and you may need to make a lot, some health changes. Um, so it's a multi-pronged approach. So what I try to teach folks is, okay, you've reached that point. What happens now? How do I, what needs to be in place within myself to get the healing process going? And how do I set that process up on the outside? What kind of situation actually accomplishes the healing that I'm seeking? What will actually make things better? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because how would you is, know that? <laughs> is there a difference that you've noticed with clients? if it's a spouse that's passed away or a partner, then a family member or something, is there a difference of coping? It's really, it depends on the relationship, depends on the history. Um, certainly I've had a, a client fairly recently lost their, their partner of over 30 years and it was a massive, massive challenge. Um, it is, it's a huge life change. And if it's been, you've spent more time in, in life with them than without them, it's, it's huge. It's huge. So those, those really, really close losses, spouse, child, certainly. And it's not, when I say child, I don't mean only a little one. I mean, any progeny of yours, any offspring is, is that as well. Um, siblings can be also but it doesn't mean grandparents aunts uncles cousins you can be very close to them too and you can also it's not only about your family of blood it's also your family of choice because not all of us are lucky enough to have a family of blood that we're close to so the family that you choose that loss can hit you just as hard and then that's almost impossible to explain to your boss because your contract only says an immediate family member. Well, if it's somebody who is like a parent or a sibling to you, they're going to go, that's nice. Get back to work. Um, so that gets into how the employment world views grief and loss recovery, which is a whole other, again, a whole other podcast, but of course it's all related, but yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's your spouse, that can be that can be massive of course of course life yeah. changing yeah yeah and the loss of a, a child i mean your your offspring um is yeah it's it's life changing it's life changing loss changes you it's the last line in my book loss changes you and i would add trauma changes you yeah and that's okay that's okay. Life changes us. And it is very often not of our choosing when something happens. How we heal and recover and learn and grow from that is entirely of our choosing. And I insist on opening up possibilities for people to step through that because it is not the end of your story. 
it's just the beginning of a new chapter. It's just a little picket fence that's around you in your prison at the moment. It's not made of steel and it's yeah. not concrete walls. It's just a little picket fence that you're stuck in for a little while. And then you can finally see the, the section you can get out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tina's exactly. story time analogies. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, what would you, you know, I hate to end this because there's so much more to talk about and we'll have Claire come back on and we'll talk about, you know, a different angle because there's so much to talk about. It's endless. Um, yeah. Endless, really, it is. Um, even I could talk about it for a long time too, just with the few experiences that I've had. And Claire has had so many more experiences than I have. Um, but what would you have for your last, for, for your listeners to say, you know, what, what kind of things would you leave them with today? Um, you have more choices than you think. You have more options. You have more tools. You are not stuck with what's happened to you. And there is a way through to a place where you can do that and settle back into your skin and into yourself. Sometimes we have to rediscover who that is and reshape who that is. And no matter what has interrupted your life story, whether it's a loss, an accident, a suicide, a war, it is not the end of your story. If you are above ground, you have options. And you can create new chapters. It is, it is doable. It's not easy. I don't know what that means. That's what's the point. If it, <laughs> if it were easy, everybody would do it. Right. And it wouldn't be a taboo subject, but yeah. there are layers yeah. and layers and layers of taboo subjects. So what I would say is don't live in the taboo. Speak, ask, ask for help, keep asking questions and you do not have to live in your brokenness. It is not what you don't have to be stuck with it. And I've seen that dozens of times in my own story, but in the stories of my clients who are some of the most courageous people that I know, where they have been through things that have, can be truly shocking and they insist on their healing. And it is uh, a privilege to watch what they are capable of. <laughs> That's that's really beautiful. Thank you, Claire. Um, I was just thinking about, you know, the tremendous amount of losses that we have in the Ukraine right now yeah. and what that must feel like for people. Um, they don't even know where they are or, you no. know, or if they are lying on the street um, compared to us who has a so-called normal lifestyle and someone does pass away, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's probably always an easier, a worse story than yours, I guess. Yeah, and what I would say is, obviously there's no story like war. Um, and, but it's also, it's also not a contest, right? My grief is worse than your grief because I've lost a child and you've only lost a, a sibling. It, it's, how devastating is it in your world? Because some people will get wiped out for something that for someone else is not as big a deal. It's so, so personal. Um, but I would put things like war and 9-11 in their own categories. They, they yeah. do just not the same thing. Um, and so it, it's, it's, yeah whole other thing, whole other thing. Not to mention what our service folks go through. Um, yes. Yeah, whole other thing. Whole Fighting 24-7, even when they're yeah. sleeping. Yeah, and they um, and then they come home to a whole new battle. So, yeah. Yeah, and stuff that's stuck in their head. Yeah. Left with. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I don't want to compare, you know, you lost your dog to losing your spouse. I, I don't want to compare grief because yeah. we all have the grief compared to how much love there was. That's what it's based upon. Yeah. But at the same time, I think we have to be grateful for for whatever yeah. that situation is in our journey that absolutely whatever that looks like. So and absolutely. I know how hard that is to be grateful when something tragic has has occurred. It's you yeah. know, you the first thing you'll say is Tina, why am I grateful? I, I yeah. want to say why did it happen? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um it just a, a sidebar about our animal companions, they are also family. And you know, sometimes when there's a loss of a spouse, the dog or the cat is your last connection. And very often I've seen, I've had that in my practice where suddenly the animal is what got them through the loss of their spouse. And then once the animal passes, it's now I have no companion. So it's, and they're reliving the loss of the spouse and they're losing their support as well. So it, you know, there, it's just, I, was, I would say fur family, but that leaves out, you know, fish and birds and reptiles. But I mean, wh wherever you put your, your, your family is, uh, when we don't have them, it can be devastating. Um, and uh, yeah, and I just, I'm, I'm picturing these families, you know, sheltering in a train station with their two kids and the dog and the little carrier. Like, oh my God, I'm sorry, what am I complaining about? I, I'm yeah. I'm out of cucumbers. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't equate. It doesn't equate. And so, you know, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a, it's a, a human tragedy. is what's happening over there. Yeah. And yes. yet there are there are more tragedies around the world that happen all the time that we're not aware of. This is just on our news screens right now. Um, but there's always tragedy somewhere, and. Uh, yeah, it sure is. And so we count our blessings all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Claire. Thank you so very much for coming on the show. Thank you for, for coming on. We'll have Claire come back and talk about some more. Definitely. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, please take a moment and subscribe to the channel. And don't forget to look up Putting Out the Fire with, with Claire there. Um, it's on Amazon, correct? Um, I actually ask people to um, get it through my website. Okay. Uh, yeah, the website should be in the bottom. It, uh, you can heal your grief. Yeah, you can heal your grief is where you dot uh, com where people can find me. Um, the book is there. The blog is there, um, and also you can schedule a call with me at no cost if you just want to have a conversation and explore the options of if you want to work together, see if it's a fit. Um, and I also have a um, online six month program that I can work with virtually anybody uh, through, through the power of, of technology. Um, it's a six month program that I call fearless grieving to fearless living. And it's very intensive work with me and you can get a heck of a lot of healing done in a short period of time. So when you're ready to say, I've got to get this figured out, we can talk about fearless grieving to fearless living. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And all the stuff is down in the description box below. So, you know, find it there. And if you're like my sister who says, what is the description box, Tina? Click on that little arrow just below the screen and you'll see it come up with all the stuff there that the links that you need to, to look at. Um, please take a moment and subscribe to our channel, which is just down here in the link below. And if you are thinking about someone right now watching the show with Claire and I, and you love them and care about them so, so very much, reach out them, reach out to them today. Pick up the phone, text them, FaceTime them, Zoom them, whatever it is. Go visit them and tell them how much you love and care about them today because you don't know what tomorrow might bring. And stay tuned for our podcast and our live streams. I have conversations 
with some of the most interesting and accomplished people in the world, like Claire, who gives us so many tips and tricks, and we're going to have her come back on. We, I hope we've inspired you and motivated you to start thinking about your unique plan and how important it is to have family conversations around discussions about things like that. It's not taboo. Talk about it. Talk about it. And thank you again to all our listeners. Um, and we are on all podcast platforms, uh, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and TikTok. And we also have a Facebook community page where you can go on and talk to each other, going through similar instances of issues and get some great friendships going on there as well. Um, I always end with Carol Burnett because I know Claire knows who Carol Burnett is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it comes the time we have to say so long. So long, my friends. Please be kind. Stay safe. And thank you for choosing your backup plan. And thank you, Claire, for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to all of you. Be safe. Till next time.